Our guest today is Brian Schnettler from YZ, a high school coach. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to be here. It's been fun to listen to these so far. Well, I appreciate you listening. Uh, as you know, uh, for the episodes that you've listened to, we like to start with your coaching Wikipedia page to start. You know, high school coaches don't usually have a Wikipedia page. So tell us where you're from, where you played, and what your coaching journey has been. Yeah, I grew up in Rice, Minnesota, actually. I went to Sartell High School, uh, played for Dave Angel there, uh, played my freshman year at Wisconsin Superior and transferred to St. Thomas after that, which is probably one of the best moves I ever made in my life. Um, played three years at St. Thomas for Steve Fritz and John Tower. Steve Fritz was the head coach at that time. And then I uh, went on to play a very brief month and a half professional career. I, my hope was to go play overseas, but I hadn't finished my student teaching yet. So I signed a contract with an ABA team, the Rochester Fire. Did part of my student teaching in the fall, and then I went and played. Um, we played like one game in a scrimmage and, and went through training camp, basically, and that was the end of that. Uh, financially, the, the whole thing blew up, and I went back and finished my student teaching, and that's what led me into coaching um, probably a little earlier than I expected, but I uh, was a sophomore assistant coach at Edina that year where I was doing my student teaching. I uh, fell in love with it, and I've been, that's what I've been trying to do ever since. Um, I was a varsity assistant and JV coach at Rosemount for a year after that, and then I became the head coach at 23 in Rosemount. Uh, I was there for five years as a head coach before coming to Wyzetta, and I've been at Wyzetta the last six years, going on seven next year. What's your big takeaway from Coach Fritz and Coach Tower from St. Thomas? Yeah, I mean, I, like I said earlier, it was one of the best moves I ever made in my life. Uh, coach Fritz um, cared about us a lot. He, um, he taught us a lot about how to work hard and, and was, de- was a demanding coach, and I think it's something I've grown to really appreciate more as I'm a coach now and as I've gotten older and have kids and, and work with kids every day. Um, it's, it's fun to go back to games and see him now and interact with him now. And Coach Tower um, and I are very close. He's one of my good friends. He was in my wedding. Um, he, I've learned a lot about basketball from him. And we just talked last night for about an hour on the phone talking hoops and just talking about family and stuff like that. And So those guys have been great mentors for me um, throughout all of this. So you're in the Wyzetta School District, obviously Wyzetta High School, gigantic school district. I'm guessing the Youth Association. Um, there's a lot of people involved in Wyzetta basketball. So how do you manage working with the many different stakeholders from the many high school administrators, youth board association members, booster club, all those different stakeholders that you know have a voice or have a little bit of power in Wyzetta basketball? How do you go about managing all of that? Yeah, I mean, we're a huge school district. We're the biggest school district in the state. And uh, there's a lot of great things about that. There's some downfalls about it. I mean, I was listening to a podcast the other day and, um, coach Kressoff at, at Perham has manages everything. And in a way that'd be really fun to do is it'd be hard to do at our school, I think. Um, but I, I work with our youth board. I'm on our youth board. Um, I'm going to go to as many meetings as I can. It's hard to go to them during our season, but I go to them outside of that. I, we have a great youth program. Our, our people that are involved, our youth board, our youth coaches are outstanding. Uh, there are a ton of kids involved all the way from first grade house, kindergarten clinics, uh, through um, high school Southwest, which is basically kind of a rec intramural league that we do with the schools in our area. And our travel program has been very good. Um, and we're starting to see that now. The last, our next year's 11th, 10th, and 9th graders are basically all were competing for state championships in, in travel basketball. And now they're coming through our high school program and it's, and we got a lot of talented kids. It's going to be fun to see those kids come through. 
Um, I mean, I, we just, we really have a lot of kids that love to play in this area. And part of it's just the demographic of kids we have. And part of it's athletics are important to people. And, and I think we've done a good job as a basketball program over the last six years. And before that, when, before I came here, I mean, basketball is something that's fun and kids enjoy playing. And one thing about quarantine now or, or the stay at home is you drive around and you see kids playing outside way more now than you have for many, many years. And that's how I grew up playing. And it's really fun to go through neighborhoods and see kids playing outside again. Um, but our youth program, like I said, that's where it all starts. And we've got a really good one. And it's been fun to work with our board. And we got some really good people involved. And going up to our administration at the high school, our, our athletic director, Jamie Sherwood, is awesome. Um, he's been there for me for a lot of different questions I've had and very supportive of all of our coaches. And um, I think he and I think very similarly on a lot of different things. So it's been fun to have his, his relationship to kind of help me through the last six years. And it is a big school, but when it really comes down to it, it's all about the kids and those relationships. And yeah, we want to win and it's winning is really important, but um, those connections and relationships are what we try and focus on, just like you would at any school. How involved are you with the education and the training of your uh, youth coaches? Are they running your stuff? Are you telling them what, what their practice should look like? Or do you kind of give them uh, some freedom to run what they want to run and organize their practices the way that they want to organize it? Yeah, I mean, most of our A coaches in travel basketball, fourth through eighth grade, are paid coaches. Uh, some of our B coaches are also paid coaches as well, so they're non-parent coaches. Uh, but the majority of our coaches, like most places, are, are parent coaches. And I try and stay in contact um, with, our, with our A coaches as much as possible. I, I keep my door open and email open as much as I can to help people. We have a coaches clinic that we do at the beginning of each year where I kind of try and set the tone for what I want Wesleyan basketball to look like. Um, I don't tell them specifically we need to run these five plays or we're running the Euro ball screen offense or we're running flex or whatever it is. I tell them that I would like them to run some kind of motion offense so kids are learning spacing and cutting and screening and movement and kind of playing basketball and not just structured or calling play one, two, three, four, five every time down the court. Uh, defensively, we've probably played 10 possessions a zone in my 11 years as a head coach. So I, I would really want to see our guys are in the youth level playing man-to-man -man defense and understanding where you should be one pass away, two pass away, ball pressure, talking, how you're guarding screens and all that kind of stuff that I think most coaches want to see. Um, so really try and hit home that if kids have a great experience in fourth grade and they come back in fifth grade, we're doing a good job. And if they, if they want keep coming back, there's a fun aspect involved in it and they're going to keep getting better. So skills and fun to me is what it's more about. Um, when they get to ninth grade, we start kind of hitting home what we want to put in our program strategy wise on both ends of the floor a little more. So uh, our situation, we have, an, we have an A and a B team pretty much at every grade. And, and my role has been, I've always been pretty fluid or flexible with uh, tryouts. If they want me to evaluate, I'll evaluate. If they want to bring someone else in, um, I'll let them bring someone else in. So it, with a district or a program your size, what do your tryouts look like? And how involved are you and your coaching staff in that process? Yeah, so, so when I was at Rosemount, um, my staff and I ran tryouts and we picked teams. And I think it was in one way it was really good because we got to know the kids even better after we had camps with them and clinics with them and watch their games and all the stuff that most coaches do. Um, so we probably had the best eye for who should be where, but on the other side of it, it was, there was a big negative side where if you put a kid on the B team or the C team or a team they didn't want to be on, then they're looking at you like, well, the high school coach doesn't like me. And 
and I'm never going to want to play for him or he's never going to want me to play and all that kind of stuff. So I, I didn't like that aspect of it at all. Um, I got to Wyzetta and they had always hired outside people to do it. Um, and so we continued to do that, which I like being out of the picking the team process part of it. Um, so we've, we've had people that we've hired to run our tryouts. We obviously have a ton of kids involved, fourth through eighth grade. Um, we've had 22 teams last year, fourth through eighth grade. Uh, so either four or five a grade. Um, and a lot of our, if you call them C-level teams, are very good. I mean, there's a lot of really good players on them. Our depth of talent in our program, just because of the sheer size of it, is really good. I do go to travel tryouts. I, I go talk to the kids. I watch. Um, I kind of stay in the background and just observe. And but I talk to them at the end of each, at the end of the first session, and just explain to them the basic stuff that if you love to play and you have a passion for it and you want to keep putting in work, no matter what team you end up on now. Um, you're going to have think good things happen for you in the future. And I tell stories about kids in the past that have gotten cut from travel teams. They've gotten cut from ninth grade teams who keep working and keep coming back out and they end up being a varsity player for you. Maybe they're on the C team or the D team and they end up playing for you someday. So I try and give them just uh, whatever team you're on now does not guarantee you. If you're on the A team now, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to be a varsity player someday. If you're on the D team now, it doesn't mean you won't play someday. That kind of, that kind of talk. So moving in from youth association, let's get into your, your nine through 12 program. What are some strategies that you use uh, to build confidence and skill in your players? Yeah, I think that's, that's a huge thing. And it's a thing that I try and put a lot of time into. Um, and I try and get my assistants to do the same thing. Um, obviously, if a kid's not a great shooter, you don't want them in a game shooting a bunch of shots for your team. You want your best shooters taking those shots. But I will say that uh, we really try hard and it's, it's funny. We, we've had a couple of kids the last couple of years who are really good shooters who, when they get out there, they shot fake and pass it off to someone else when they're not, when they're open to shoot it. And so, um, actually a kid, Ryan Lindbergh is one of the best shooters I ever coached. He's now, he'll be a senior at St. Thomas next year. He was on a team of ours a couple of years ago that was very good and he's had a really good college career, but I had to bench Ryan and, and yell at him to shoot the ball and he did everything right. And he's a great kid and he was always in the right spot on defense and did everything we wanted him to do, but he'd pass up open shots and it hurt our team. So I'd basically say, if you don't shoot, you're not going to play. And he, uh, he got the message and ended up being a great player for us and has had a great career at St. Thomas. But I, we just, I think the more reps you get, we shoot a lot in practice, at least 30 minutes every day. We have a shooting leaderboard. Um, that's our program record board of probably 10 to 12 drills on there. Um, and so if someone breaks a record, a new name goes up and the kids get into that a little bit, especially the kids that are really good shooters. We encourage them to, Hey, if my best score on this drill is six, then I want to beat it every time I get it. I'm trying to beat my best score too. So you're, you're trying to focus on yourself, but the kids really get into that. And when a kid breaks a record, everybody kind of goes crazy and, and really enjoys that aspect of it. So we try and spend a lot of time shooting. It's probably the best way to gain confidence is just getting the repetition, but a lot of individual meetings with kids and kind of side talks of just trying to make sure that they understand how good they are. Cause we got a lot of kids that are really good players and they need to know it. You have a lot of kids. You can shoot it. Like you've mentioned, uh, you know, I've seen, uh, watch you guys at the state tournament a couple of years ago, watch you play at a few different summer events through breakdown. Um, your, your kids can shoot it. And so without giving the whole secret, uh, to why is that a basketball? What are, what, what's one or two of your best shooting drills that you could share? Yeah, I, I got a lot of them, uh, probably way too many of them, but um, I don't know that there's one or two best ones. I think that 
some of them that we do, and I'd be happy to, it's easier to share them if I could send a document out or, or draw something up for somebody. Um, but anything that's competitive, we really like, and I really like. I mean, if you're just going through reps and say, go, go shoot 53s, and there's no competitiveness to it, I don't think it translates as well into games. So we try and make all of our drills competitive, whether it's an individual drill, a partner drill, maybe a group of three drill or more than that. Like there's, there's a winner and a loser, and there's a, a push-up penalty usually or just a pride penalty. But it's, we try and make, it as, make them all competitive and have a competitive aspect to all of them. So hopefully it transfers a little more. How much do you get involved in forum shooting? Uh, at the younger levels, Part of the problem is we have so many kids that come to our camps and clinics that it's hard to work with kids in more of an individualized setting. Um, if we have a kid that comes into our program or a kid that you can kind of see is going to be a player for you and you want to try and help them as much as you can when they're younger, we do some stuff with them, but not a lot. I mean, a lot of our kids have had a million trainers by the time they get to us. They got kid, people who have been able to help them with their form. So it's at least good enough to make, put the ball in the hoop. I mean, I, I'll say this about myself. My shot was not perfect form-wise. I spent way too many hours repping it, and it became a really good shooter. And it happens through repetition and confidence more than I think it happens through having the perfect form. So we correct some stuff, but we don't correct a lot of it. It's the mentality of shooting. If a kid's confident, no matter you know if they have an ugly shot or a good shot, they think that shot's going in. They're going to be a lot better off than that kid with the beautiful shot who has no confidence in himself. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, if you believe you're really good and you've put in the time, it doesn't, I mean, there's a kid from Buffalo this year who was a senior, Matt Willard. I don't know if you'd say his shot was pretty, but I would say that every time it went in, you thought it was a good shot and he was a heck of a shooter and um, form wasn't perfect, but I'll tell you what, he had a great high school career and I have a feeling he's going to put up a lot of points at St. Cloud State. So we talked a little bit before we recorded just about the uh, um, uncertainty of our summer programming, but let's say all things uh, were normal this summer and we weren't at the stay at home with the uh, precautions with COVID-19. What does your summer workouts look like with, uh, you know, the size of numbers I'm sure that you guys have in your program? Yeah, we, we do a lot of stuff like, like most programs that are, that are pretty good do. I mean, if you don't spend time in the summer doing stuff, you're going to be behind everybody else. Uh, but we have workouts with our, High school kids, uh, we do 9th through 12th grade together. I think we end up with around 25, depending on the year, 25 hour and a half workouts that we do through June and July. Uh, and then for the middle school kids, the 4th through 8th graders, they get about 15 or so workouts that are an hour and a half each throughout June and July. And then we have our big week-long camp that's K through 8. And that's, I mean, it's a huge camp, but it's a lot of fun. Um, we have a bunch of different sessions that go through our high school and we use eight different courts that it's just really fun to see the kids coming through just excited about basketball and excited to connect with our high school kids working. I think one of the coolest things that we are able to do, and I'm sure others do this as well too, but I mentioned a kid like Ryan Lindbergh, but we have him, him and other alumni who are playing in college or who are really good players for us that are able to come back and work. And I really love being around them again. It's fun for me as a coach, but it's really fun for our high school kids and youth kids to see these guys and we get to talk about them and, um, and then they end up sticking around and working out after. And I think they really enjoy it as well. Well, you mentioned that relationship piece early on and when you can have those kids come back now, when you coach them as 16, 17, 18 year olds, now they come back as, you know, 19, 20, 21 year old adults, you can have a different conversation and how you can really grow that relationship. Like you mentioned with coach tower, how he was in your wedding. And that's just so powerful when those kids come back and, 
you know, our coach McMillan from Richfield talked about this on the other day that he wants 70 to 80% of his kids to come back. And just when you build that relationship, that really, like you said, empowers your youth kids and your high school kids uh, when they see those kids come back. So that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's what it's all about. It's, that's what the relationships and it's really fun. So we talked about summer. Now it's December. Let's go into why is that a Trojan basketball practice? How are you structuring things? How long are you going? Um, what are some of your big uh, things you're looking to accomplish, accomplish in, a, in a normal practice? Yeah, I mean, early on in the season, the first week, we probably go two and a half hours. We don't go in the morning. We just go after school about 3.30 to, 3.30 to 6 at that point. And then after that, we cut it down to closer to two, uh, give or take a few minutes on either side. And in the year we're going an hour and a half like a lot of people are um we we spend a lot of time on skill work um we spend a lot of time like i mentioned earlier on shooting i really believe that and this is something that's funny i didn't i don't remember in my high school and college practices spending a lot of time on shooting it was i did a lot of it on my own outside of it and so did our teammates um but in high school i think it's a little more challenging the kids don't have as much time to as they would in a college normal day to go find extra time to get shots up. So we spend a lot of time shooting. Um, the beginning, we just want practice to be fast. We, our tempo, we want it to be high. We don't do conditioning for the sake of conditioning. We believe that if you, you, you do it through practice, you do it through the drills and the, and what you have going on in your practices and the tempo of it. Uh, our practices are really competitive. We want our kids to compete. We want there to be a winner and loser in everything that we're doing. And that's probably just the way I am. Um, I think with most kids, they prefer it that way as well. Uh, we probably do a lot of, I don't know if we do more live stuff than other people, but we do a lot of live stuff. We don't do hardly any five on O unless we're teaching a new skill or I mean a new set or a new play or something like that. And that's mostly earlier on in the year. Uh, we want it to be fun. I mean, I, if a kid comes to practice and they're always looking at the clock and wondering what time practice is over and all that, then I don't feel like I'm doing a very good job or we're doing a very good job as the coaching staff. Like I, when they're there, it's fun when at the end of practice, you're like, man, it's over already. Like it's fun when you hear that as a coach. And, and we try and make, I think having it competitive and making sure the kids are connecting with each other, maybe more importantly than anything is what makes it fun. But we, we throw in a couple other things. Like I got this from our girls cross country coach, Dave Emmons, who had a heck of a coaching career. Um, but we add little challenges throughout the year. We call it real-time challenges because the first year I started doing it, that's what the kids called it. Um, but we have a leaderboard. We've got four captains, usually seniors, um, and they pick teams at the beginning. And then we'll do volleyball. We'll do like a bag toss game, like bean bag toss. We'll do um, different basketball kind of goofy games like lightning and things throughout the year. We'll do bowling. Uh, I'm a PE teacher, so we basically open up the PE storage room and come up with something. And try and, just, and we keep track, and kids – Hey, when's the real time challenge this week? When are, when are we going to do that? And when we throw it in, they just start going nuts. And it's just kind of refreshing and, and fun for them to do. You do one of those a week, give or take? Yeah, yeah, usually one or two a week. Uh, Saturday, I love Saturday practices. Uh, it's more fun when you're coming off a win from the night before. But uh, we do a lot of skill work on Saturdays. Usually my, my two young boys come around and we usually finish Saturdays with a real time challenge. And the kids just, they go crazy dodgeball, volleyball, things like that. And it's a fun way to, do competitive things to the group outside of hoops. And I think it keeps them a little refreshed and kind of having fun at practice. So we do a lot of five on five and competitive stuff as well. Uh, but we always try to find that balance of JV and varsity, how to mix and match. So do you practice JV varsity together when you're doing competitive stuff? Will you mix groups? Will you go first varsity versus second varsity? What are some ways that you do set up your competitive uh, 
games in practice? Yeah, we do all those things. Um, I think it depends. If it's the day before a game, we try and go JV versus varsity and have the JV be more of the scout team and get our varsity guys prepared. And I know it's not always ideal for the JV guys, but we try and get them to buy into it. And when they do, it's great for our kids, for everybody involved. Um, if, if, we, if it's a Wednesday and we don't play till Friday, sometimes we try and mix up the teams just to keep things fresh a little bit and keep kids being able to compete against each other. Part of it kind of depends on how many kids we have, what injuries look like and things like that. We've kept 20 kids before and been able to go five on five on both on two different courts. And uh, I, I think with the depth of our program, the number of kids that we have that can play, I think I'd like to do that more moving forward. Um, tougher when you come playoff time and you got to pick the 18 man roster, but I think it allows us throughout the year just to have maybe some better practices. So when I started this podcast, I was reaching out to some coaches who I know, who I knew from the Metro, uh, talk about who's a good offense coach, who's a good defensive coach and offensively your name kept coming up. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that, but everyone really thought you were a good offensive coach. Uh, and so just kind of talk about your guys' general philosophy offensively, what kind of actions you're looking to score off of where you found your teams being most efficient on the offensive end of the court. And then what are some of your uh, basic principles within your offense? Yeah. I mean, I, defensively the last two years we probably haven't been anywhere near what I would have hoped we'd be um, so it's an area we got to keep improving on this year we turned the ball over way too much um, but when we didn't we got really good shots and I, I think the biggest thing offensively is I want our kids playing together I want them to believe in the extra pass and hitting the open guy if I have an okay shot but you have a great shot I'm not even hesitating I'm passing that ball to you um, really trusting in the pass and and believing in each other especially with, I mean, we're a little different most of the time than most schools is we just have, we usually have nine, 10 plus kids that can really play. And maybe we don't always have high division one kids like we may have right now, a couple kids that might end up being that. Um, but if kids believe in each other and trust in the past and understand spacing and cutting within our motion, it, it does special things. There's not really a secret to it that we have to, I mean, it's just, you keep preaching great pass, great pass. Instead of, great shot. We always talk about the pass that led to the shot. Um, but we do run five all motion the last couple of years. Before that, we were running a little more dribble drive with a post kind of um, in the dunk spot or whatever you want to call it. Uh, we focus a ton on cutting, um, on when to cut, cutting off of drill penetrations, second cuts, if you want to call it that. Uh, really talk a ton about spacing. We love back doors within our sets and within our motion. We, we try and do a lot of that. Love drill penetration. It's funny, for about three or four years, we, my first two years, we had a kid that we could post up, or a couple of kids that we could post up. And then for three years, we didn't post up anybody. Um, and now we have a kid that we can post up again. And post entries this year were a disaster for us. We got to get better in that area, as we got a couple of kids that we can take advantage of that. Uh, but biggest thing is we want to take care of the ball, get great shots, and really trust in the pass and the offensive end of the floor. So at Princeton, we run a lot of uh, spread ball screen offense. Mainly, we were a five-out team, but we just found that our kids just didn't really know when to cut. And we tried teaching them when to cut, but we just have found out that we kind of, we started coining it nervous cutting where guys don't know what to do. So they just nervous cut right into a, right into a driving lane or right into a double gap. And so what are some of your uh, tips or ways that you guys uh, effectively teach cutting and when to cut versus when to space? Yeah, we do, we do, we do quite a bit of nervous cutting as well. And it just, <laughs> it takes time. I mean, it takes in, in November, December, even into January, sometimes you're like, oh, man, it's just it's not clicking yet. But what I found is if you continue to work on it and drill it every day, 
I mean, it just, it happens. And there's no specific time when it happens because every group's a little different, but um, they understand when to cut and they understand the spacing of everything. I, in our five out, we, we don't tell them specifically where to cut um, out after they clear out in space. We tell them to cut to the open spot because sometimes it opens up a double gap if you cut ball side. Um, if you always cut out opposite, it doesn't always open up those gaps for driving lanes as much. Um, we got a couple of kids right now that can really get in the paint and get and create for others and create for themselves. And so when you get in the paint, we talk a lot about jump stops and then cutting off of those jump stops. And that's, that's something that we drill a lot and we do it three on three, four on four. Um, and we do different drills, um, that we just create, they give us a step and allow us to get a paint touch and then cutting off of those paint touches as we spend a lot of time on that. Basically every day we do at least something. And I think it's, Good for both ends of the floor. It's good defensively working on your rotations as well. So I've heard you were a tough scout. Coach Hopkins at St. Agnes, when he was at Edina, he was telling me that uh, you were impossible to scout because you guys did some hand signal type stuff that led to where the ball went, the next action happened. So what kind of secrets can you tell about your team or is that stuff you're going to keep close to the vest? <laughs> I don't know that we're all that complicated. I think we maybe just, I don't know. We probably over-confused ourselves if we did all that. Um, we, we run a lot of stuff out of the same set. We call it a, out of a series. Um, basically, everything we did this last year was out of the same series, and we, we call it head tap. Um, and it doesn't really signify anything. It's just what we came up with. And then after that, we have different actions that we run out of it. So we have head taps one play, and then it would be like head tap side fist, head tap ear, head tap cheek, head tap. I could keep going. Um, and, we, and we don't put it all in right away. Obviously, it's something we put in over time throughout the year. Um, kind of depending on what's working and what's not working or what we, I mean, we look at our section and we got to figure out who we got to beat. And if it's going to help us beat Hopkins, Armstrong, St. Louis Park, Cooper, et cetera, then we're going to put it in. If it's not, then we're not going to put it in because we want to make sure in March that we're ready to go. Um, our kids, we practice it a lot, so they get it. Um, but it's not really as complicated maybe as, as he <laughs> made it sound. So uh, transition offense, how important is that to your guys' offensive flow? And do you have set uh, expectations or roles for guys? Or are you kind of just pretty positionless in transition? We're pretty positionless. Um, I mean, on a miss, we're pushing hard. We're, I mean, really one through four, I don't care who gets the rebound, they're bringing it up. Um, and we've, we may give that ability to our five-man this year, but we're, we're debating on that right now. And so we'll see how that goes. But we want to push it in transition. Um, on miss, on makes. Uh, we have our four-man pass it in. Uh, we don't say the closest man or anything like that. I think it gets a little confusing. At least it does for me. So four-man passes it in, uh, wings run wide. We want our five to rim run, and then he usually pops back up into where we run a lot of our stuff out of the high post area, and we go into our motion and from there. Um, now for walking it up on a make, or not walking it up, I shouldn't say that. We don't really ever want to walk it up. But if we're, if we're bringing it up on a make, maybe we'll call something out and – we don't have a specific secondary that we run or anything like that. We do some kind of ball screens out of with our five man out of transition. Um, and our five man right now can really shoot it. So that makes it tough. Um, but we don't overcomplicate it. We push it hard and try and get a reverse quick and, and go into our motion from there. It's crazy how much more is opened up offensively when you got a five guy, you can, five men who can shoot it. Yeah, it makes it, I mean, it's dangerous. It's really tough to guard and, I think he's going to be a really good player. He was a really good player this year for us. He's going to be really good the next week. So before we move on to defense, what is the one action or set or 
whatever that you guys found that maybe you're the most efficient at uh, offensively? Well, it's funny with all this extra time that we have right now, I, I went back and I watched our last 10 games of the year and I watched all of our makes and I was trying to figure out kind of practice time. How much time should we actually spend on things? Am I wasting a lot of our practice time by working on certain things? And in those 10 games, we scored zero points on sideline out of bounds plays. Um, we scored about 3% of our points on base on out of bounds plays. 50% of our makes were out of our motion. Um, I think about 15, 16% were in transition and we didn't push it maybe quite as hard as, as some teams or as maybe as much as we would even have liked to. Um, about 12% were out of our head tap series, but most of it came out of our motion. So we were like, I was thinking, I was like, we need to spend the majority of our time on that. Um, but out of our, our head tap series, I mean, that's what we do the most. We, that's a, we don't have a specific play or a specific action. It's just, we drill that a lot and out of that, if our five man can shoot it, it makes it tough because he usually sets a back screen um, and pops back out to the perimeter. So if they don't help on it, um, we're gonna get we're gonna get a layup. Or if they help a lot on it, we're gonna get a three. If they don't help at all, we're gonna get a layup if we use it right. Really efficient use of your time right now. Being you know, there's a lot of ways. And we talked about this again before we recorded with kids, right? This is an off season where kids can really separate if they want to put the work and they want to get in the driveway and shoot, or they can sit and sulk and play. Um, Call of Duty or Fortnite or whatever, the 2K or whatever they want in their basements. Uh, but as coaches, it's the same thing. We can sit and be upset that we might not be able to work with our guys in the summer, or we can use it as an opportunity to grow and figure out what works for our program. And I think that's really cool. And I'm definitely writing that down uh, as something I need to do is go back and watch our last 10 games. That probably gives you a really good sample size of um, of what transitioning from, you know, what you're running in December probably looks a lot different in February. So I think that's really cool and definitely something I'm going to look to do. Uh, defensively, uh, you mentioned you guys haven't been very good as, or as good as you would like, I think it was some, generally what you said, and you play in, you know, probably one of the most talented, if not the most talented conference in the league, in the state year in and year out. And so you obviously need to be crisp on the defensive end. Um, what are some of your non-negotiables defensively that you really look to install with your kids? Yeah. I mean, we, we were pretty good defensively for the first, uh, four years I was here and the last two years, we just, it hasn't been quite as good for a variety of reasons and not blaming the kids. It's more on me than anything. Um, but we play, like I said earlier, we don't play, I think I've played 10 possessions of zone in 11 years as a head coach. Uh, last, we haven't even put a zone in for the last probably four or five years. Uh, so we basically play all man to man. Ball pressure is huge. Um, depending on your personnel, just like I think any good coach, offensively, you want to fit your personnel to what you're running. And so we always kind of change things there. Defensively, we do the same thing. And so some years we're out in passing lanes a little more. Some years we're a little more gap and pack oriented. And it kind of just depends on who we have, um, if we have rim protection or not, if we have kind of our quickness and length or not. Um, I mean, I think defense comes down basically to two things. Are you giving great effort and are you communicating? And if you're doing those two things, even if you're not always in the great spot, if you're not always uh, maybe the most athletic or the quickest kid or the biggest kid or whatever, if you're talking and giving great effort, you're going to be in a good spot. And we, we had a kid this year for us as a senior captain who in eighth grade all the way in fourth through eighth grade, he was a B kid. Um, and he worked his way up step by step throughout high school and ended up being a starter for us this year, almost solely because of his ability to communicate and give effort. I think those two things in defensive end are probably the most important things for us. What's well, something on defense that you're looking to give up to your opponents? I mean, we obviously can't stop everything. Uh, is there a certain, I mean, is it mid-range? Is it um, keep guys off the three-point line? What are, what are you looking to give up defensively? 
Yeah, I mean, I think ideally you don't want to give up layups and you don't want to give up open threes. Uh, you'd like you'd like teams to shoot a lot of mid-range shots. Um, I think this year we gave up way too many open threes and it, it hurt us. Sometimes when teams didn't make them, we look really good. And then when teams make them, you look like you, you can't guard anybody. And so you're, you're kind of living with on the dangerous side with that. We do chart two things. We only chart two things defensively. Uh, we keep track of charges. Um, and we have a leaderboard that we post in the locker room with that, who's leading us in charges for the year. Uh, we try and get to a game. I don't think we got that once this year. Um, but probably more importantly, we keep track of kills. And that's three stops in a row. And our goal is five kills every game. And over the last six years since we started charting it, when I, since I came to Wazetta, it's amazing our win percentage when we get our goal, our five-kill goal. Uh, I think we've won over 90% of the times. And a lot of that is when you get stops, at least to transition, easy buckets. And obviously they're not scoring, but it's kind of a fun thing that our kids have kind of bought into is finding a way to get those kills. I remember when I watched you guys at uh, St. Michael in a breakdown a couple summers ago, and I don't know if you're still doing this. I was really impressed with your man-to-man run and jump press. Uh, I'm not sure, if, again, if that's what you're still running, but it was really effective. So what are some of your teaching points in uh, run and jump full court man press? Yeah, we didn't do it as much this year. Um, we've had it in every year um, as something that change of pace and kind of depending, like I said earlier, depending on our personnel, we either run it a lot or we don't run it much at all. Starts the ball pressure, uh, trying to get the ball out of the middle. You want that um, that guy on the ball to force them out of the middle third of the court. We like to say outside of the volleyball lines. Most courts have a volleyball line on them. Um, and then once that guy, the ball handler turns his back, the guy that's up the line from the backside comes and doubles and we try and cut them off and get that double and rotate. Uh, the ball side guy is closest to the ball that's up the line. He needs to make sure he's taking away sideline, denying that pass, and everybody just kind of rotates up. And if you got guys that can really pressure the ball and have good instincts and um, understand that we're gambling, you know, I always tell the kids when, we, when we're running this, we're gambling. We're risking um, some opportunities to give up good shots. But if you go all out and you're communicating and giving that effort, that usually good things are going to happen for you, even if they get out of that first trap. So you see a lot of Division One players. If it's Hopkins, uh, obviously they, they got a couple every single year. Um, and throughout the, ver- the various, you know, good 4A programs that you see throughout the school year, uh, throughout the season, teams are looking, get, looking to get the ball up the floor fast and score 70, 80 points a game. So transition defense, what are you guys uh, – what are some of your philosophies or principles in transition defense? Yeah, I mean, I think transition – and we do see a lot. We play a lot of really good teams. Um, I mean, shoot, Eden Prairie this year was really good. And Hopkins Eden Prairie, was really right. Good yep. and- um obviously we play a lot of good teams in our league but um defensively transition wise it starts on offense if you're not turning it over and you're taking great shots usually you make more shots you shoot at a higher percentage and and they're not able to run as much so we always talk about with our guys if we don't want to give up transition buckets on the other end it starts on offense let's take care of the ball and let's get great shots um but we spring back and you talk and you communicate and give that effort uh depending on the year we had the kids we have uh, it kind of determines how many kids we send to the glass on offense. So that's part of it, too. Uh, this last year, we sent three guys to the boards um, and sent our, our point guard to kind of the top of the key area to be ready to pick up the ball handler to the nail area, if you want to call it that. And then we sent our two-man back. Um, but our two-man's a pretty good rebounder. He'd sneak in there and get a few at times, too. And so it's hard to hard to really penalize him for that. But um, you just got to sprint, talk, and we really, I mean, biggest thing is you got to practice it a lot and hold kids accountable to making sure that they're not jogging back on defense. You've got to get back on defense. It's a non-negotiable. 
So uh, we'll transition here and outside of the, the X's and O's. And I want to know some more about your guys' culture and your philosophy. Uh, you mentioned relationships. And I know as we talked before uh, through text, you mentioned that you, you feel like you do a really good job getting your guys to connect with one another. So what are some ways that you get your guys, that you connect with your players, but also that you get your guys to connect with one another? Yeah, I mean, every year is a little different. Every kid's a little more, is different. Some are easy to connect with and it's instant. And some it's a little more challenging. And uh, sometimes it's easier to say, have an assistant coach that really connects with the kid. And you're kind of like, hey, that's your guy. And you're going to go help him as much as you can. It doesn't mean myself as a head coach doesn't talk to him, but it just means that that's kind of his point man. Um, but we talk every year at the beginning of the year. We have four goals for our teams. And I don't, I don't talk about state tournament or beating a certain team or winning the conference or be, winning a state championship. Our kids talk about it enough. I don't need to talk about it with them. Um, and obviously I'm competitive, like every coach pretty much is, and you want to win every time you go on the floor, but I've tried to focus on our, having our kids use basketball to learn lifelong lessons, create lifelong memories, maybe most importantly, create lifelong friendships and develop a work ethic that allows us to be playing our best in March. It allows us to improve daily. And we share those with the kids at the beginning of the year. We revisit them throughout the year and we talk about them after we win or lose our last game, depending on the year. And I think it's, I really try and hammer through to our kids that you're going to walk away from this, not caring as much about in five years, even right, maybe the moment you're done, how much we won or how much we lost, but you're going to care about how much you connected with your teammates and those relationships you take forward with you, hopefully for the rest of your life. I know when you took over at YZ and I, I remember watching the telecast and you guys were in the state semis, uh, the, the drought that wise that it had of going to the state tournament. And so how did you go about installing that winning mentality within your program? Yeah. I mean, I was, that has been good for a long time and they just hadn't gotten over that hump and it wasn't like, I don't, I don't know that we did anything magical. I mean, we had a group of kids that year that, I mean, I hope I can coach a group that was that is that connected or was that connected ever again. I mean, I, Actually, it's funny. They replayed one of the games on CCX, the local sports, or the sole local channel here. Um, they replayed our section final game against Hopkins from that year uh, a couple weeks ago as they're kind of doing with quarantine stuff right now. Um, so I set a little text group with, our, with the guys that are on that team, and it was just fun to be a part of that. It's fun to – those kids just really loved each other, cared about each other, and put the team first. And that's what made that group so special, and that's what kind of has – kind of fed down to the other younger kids and it's what we can continue to hope to continue to kind of have in our program moving forward is just that the relationships matter more than winning and losing and usually when you're a really connected team you win a heck of a lot more than you lose uh, but I I'll say this is I'm I, there's maybe one person I know that's more competitive than me and that's my brother who's a year apart so if you can imagine what our what our house looked like growing up um, with us two going back and forth and I, I just when you're competitive and you want to win and you kind of have that belief that if you're a part of something, you're going to have a chance to win, it trickles down to other people. And um, if you keep telling your guys that they're going to be good and that they believe that we believe they're going to win, it usually if they don't have another choice, but yet to believe it. And that's kind of what we've tried to do with our kids every time we take the practice floor, every time we go into a game. So you mentioned uh, with Saturday practices, you, you bring your, your two sons into practice who I think you said are ages two and four. Do you feel that fatherhood has made you a better coach? Yeah, it's, it's not even a question. I think the moment that my, our four-year-old was born, you just, you look at life differently. I mean, you just, I mean, I, I'll say this, my first three years in Rosemont as a head coach, 
it was way too much about me. It was my ego as a player was way too still into it. And it was the competitive side of me taking over. And I had, I had to make a switch after that year because I wasn't as enjoying as kids weren't having as much fun. I wasn't having as much fun as we should have. And so I really have tried to put the kids first from there on out. And it's, I've, we've had more success on the floor, but it's been a lot more fun for everybody involved. Um, and so we focused on those relationships and the moment I had our first son, Grayson, it just, it changes who you are as a person. You're able to look at parents of kids differently. You're like, Oh, that makes sense. Why they're so involved. It makes sense why they care so much. It makes sense why they love their kids so much. And, um, I just, you look at the kids that you get to coach and you, you as a dad now, you're like, Oh, I'm, I'm basically a dad to them as well too. And you just want to treat them like you treat your own kids. And it's really fun having them around when they come around. It's fun to see our high school kids just kind of light up and run over and want to play with them after practice. And I mean, I, I it's, it's, it makes me emotional because it's one of the best things about coaching is having your kids get to see those kids and, the number of times that my four-year-olds in the basement or in the driveway playing basketball and, and talking about playing Zeke Najee and Kerwin Walton from Hopkins and beating them and pretending to be different kids that we have on our team now or in the past. I mean, it's our kids wouldn't even believe how often it happens. Yeah. If you, my Twitter picture in the, in the background for this, uh, for the podcast is I have my two girls who are about each one year younger than your kids. I have a 10 month old and a uh, three and a half year old daughter. And it just, it does change things. Like you said, and I, I think parents look at you a little bit differently as well. I remember when I was first coaching, I was hired at 24 you were hired at 23 in your first head coaching job. And, Oh, he does not, you know what? You heard rumblings here. Oh, he doesn't have kids. He doesn't when you have kids or an upset parent say, well, when you have kids, you'll understand this. And I think when you do have kids and I remember at that time, I was like, I know, I know how to connect with kids. I get kids, but like you said, you really don't until you have your own kids. It gives you a little bit more understanding, I think, of where coach or where parents are coming from. Absolutely. I mean, it, it just, it completely changes the way you look at things and it's been for the better for me. It's been awesome. So you said that you're watching a lot of your film. Uh, you've, again, thankful, thank you for listening to a couple of our earlier podcasts. What are other uh, sources of information that you're looking at this time of the year to help improve yourself as a coach? Yeah, I mean, normally... I'm watching the NCAA tournament or I have been watching it and taking down notes and, and just loving watching those games and kind of breaking that stuff down or now what well, now would be the NBA playoffs kind of doing the same thing. But with all those things, I, I mean, I just been trying to stay as connected with our kids as possible and, and just calling them FaceTiming, texting and um, just making sure they're okay and they're doing their schoolwork and that they're, and they're being active in whatever way, shape or form that they want to be active and, um, I watch a lot of our film. I, I try and talk to a lot of coaches. Um, I mean, I, I've got five former assistant coaches who are now head coaches. Uh, one at Rosemont, Chris Orr has done a great job down there. And Josh Beltier's at Eastridge, John Bryant's at Armstrong, Jake Dom's at Shockfee, Xander Culver's at Roseville. And uh, trying to stay in touch with those guys and, and Coach Tower and just picking people's brains and uh, listening to stuff like this, podcasts. When I work out, I usually listen to a podcast. And um, just try and learn as much as I can. What's your advice for a first-year head coach? Uh, well, like I mentioned earlier, when I first took over, it was about me way too much. So you, you got to drop your ego at the door and put the kids first. Um, and then it's just about building relationships with the players, with administration, with the parents, with um, basically anybody that's involved in your school and your program. You got to get to know them and get to know who you can trust and get to know uh, kind of how things go and and got to have a plan 
going in there with what you want to do, but you also got to get a feel for what's been done in the past and what's worked and what hasn't worked. And um, Be yourself. I mean, go in and be yourself, but make sure that it's about the kids and it's not about you. You mentioned parents. Uh, one, one little bonus question here, because uh, I think it's good, really good advice for a first-year head coach, something that I wish I would have known more about uh, and been better trained, maybe not trained now, but educated on when dealing with parents. So what are some of your basic expectations for uh, parents and then uh, playing time with your kids? Yeah, I mean, we have, we have a parent meeting at the beginning of every year like everybody does, and we go through expectations. And, um, and I, I've been very lucky. I mean, we've, especially in Wyzetta, we've had, I mean, and in Rosemont, we've had great parents who are very supportive and obviously care a lot about their kids, but they care about the other kids on the team. And they've been very supportive of me. And every once in a while, you have your problems like everybody does. But most of the time, it hasn't been that big of a deal. Um, if you set the expectations, and we, we say, parents, we're happy to talk to you about anything but playing time, um, basketball strategy, and maybe most importantly, the other kids on the team, unless there's an issue, unless there's something that we need to know that we can help with. Um, and we, we want to talk to those kids as much as possible about those things. If a kid's, and usually you know as a coach, if a kid's upset about playing time, you know it. And I think it's my job to not wait for them to come to me. I should go to talk to them. I mean, if you can't read that as a coach, you're not probably as in tune as, as you should be. And, and I will say, in every practice plan I put together, I put at the top of it is a talk-to list. And I talk, a list of maybe it's a playing time thing. Maybe it's a basketball strategy thing with the kid. Maybe it's just checking in. Or, hey, how's things going with your girlfriend? Or how's this going? Or how's that going? And um, I think most coaches do it naturally, but I probably am a little overprepared and make a list of it too. Uh, but parents, they love their kids. And if you can show that you love their kids, usually there's not a lot of issues. You know, I like that talk to us because, yeah, coaches do check in with kids, but it, just, it holds you accountable to make sure that you're uh, connecting with everyone. Uh, Coach, I just want to thank you uh, for, for coming on the podcast today. Uh, your teams are obviously really well coached. Uh, and I re really like following you at that uh, state tournament run you guys had a couple of years ago. It was a really cool group to watch. Uh, and I, we text a little bit. I met, you went against my brother for years back in the old Central Lakes Conference days. So I know it's a familiar name and uh, definitely a team and a program that's easy to cheer for from, a false, from afar. So, Coach, thanks for joining us. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Really appreciate it. And looking forward to listening to more of these.